Hello, 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 and welcome to the Like I Care podcast with me, Soph Beresford. So today we are going to be talking about the importance of having a mental health routine. The majority of us will have some sort of a daily routine or maybe even a weekly routine for our physical health. But why do many of us not have or consider doing the same for our mental health? To help me talk about this topic, I'm joined by Dara this episode. Dara is a passionate mental health advocate like myself from Cork in Ireland, who uses his Instagram page, Thoughts Too Big, to normalise the chat around mental health and help people build daily routines for their well-being. I hope by the time that you've listened to this episode, you'll walk away and consider building a mental health routine of your own. But before we get started, I just wanted to warn you that we do touch on a number of topics that you might find upsetting. These include suicide, anxiety and depression. So if these are subjects you find particularly triggering, please consider skipping this episode and waiting for the next one. Now, if like me, you enjoy an Irish accent, this is going to be the podcast episode for you. Enjoy! Well, I said I would get Dara on, and Dara is with me today. How are you? Hello, thanks for having me on. It's uh, It's been a while coming. It has, and um, I have an official apology to make. I know one of my friends that's Irish is going to be listening, and she'll be screaming when she hears this, but I actually mistook where you came from as Dublin, even though I knew you weren't from Dublin. And yeah. to know what gets me is whenever anybody hears my accent, they automatically think I'm from London. Mm-hmm. As if like the southern English accent cannot yeah, be anything but London. And I've gone and done that to you, so I'm really sorry. For yeah, one. and the thing between, there's a massive rivalry between Cork and Dublin, so it's like the worst one yeah. you could have made. Like if you said it was from like Kerry or Waterford, we would have been fine, but... But Dublin's if anything, and I, I will put my hands up, it's probably just English ignorance. So I, will, totally take, I will take that. Um, <laughs> lovely to have you on. I have Thanks very much been me. waiting for this. So we're going to start with your what you don't care about, because that's what I ask everybody. So as I said to you before, no young blood, no Harry, Harry Styles. I would go as far as saying no Billie Eilish as well, but you can talk about anything else. You tell no, me I anything won't, else I won't that you don't go like. there, because I, I enjoy all those three artists. It was so. the shortest podcast known to man, if you said any of those. <laughs> um, so being a, a man who's straight and... Uh, in my mid-twenties, it's probably surprising that I don't care about football at all. I mean, I, I, I don't mind football. Like, if somebody said to me, do you want to come and watch a football match? I'd go along. But, mm-hmm. and I do really get into the World Cup. Like, embarrassingly, I really get into it. But maybe it's more the atmosphere, you know? Yeah, like, I'm more inclined to be interested in the international football. But, like, and I've sat down and watched matches if we're in a pub or whatever. But I don't follow team. I just... It doesn't, like, inspire excitement in me at all. So, mm. yeah. Well, that is, is a brave one to say, but equally, it's different. I like people that are different, you know? It's a cancel. If we all like the same really. stuff, if we mm. all like the same things, life would be really boring. Exactly, exactly. So I jokingly just say, like, if, if the guys are watching matches, I'll just say really, really vague things that couldn't be untrue about the match, just to join in the conversation, but... <laughs> no idea what I'm talking about and it's it's, it's fun it's enjoyable except they still accept you and that's what's important they do for who I am exactly 
So as a bit of a intro for anybody, I mean, we tend to share each other's stuff a lot. So if anybody follows me, mm-hmm. they're probably aware of who you are. But can you give a bit of a summary as to who you are and what has made you so interested in doing a page that's that's dedicated to mental health and wellbeing? Of course, yeah. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Dara Fleming. I'm from Cork in Ireland. <laughs> and uh, I run the page Toss Too Big, which is a mental health blog to help people deal with like daily mental health struggles, whatever it is. The reason I started it was because uh, when I was 17, my best friend killed himself and um, we'd never talked about mental health. There was never, I didn't even really ever hear the word mental health before. Hadn't really talked about suicide. It was kind of like pushed into the corner to forget about. Uh, So obviously when he died, it was quite surprising and took us all off guard. And then for the years after that, I went through my own struggles with depression, uh, anxiety. And then when I was in college, after going to therapy for a while, I was like, I feel like I can help people not have to get to this part, to this point, if they can like be aware and educate themselves on mental health and emotional awareness and anxiety and everything that you kind of have a repertoire to to help yourself, like to fortify your mind. So that's what the, the page is about. Um, I'm just, and similar to yourself, really passionate about it. I love writing. So it just, it just made sense. Yeah. And we obviously talked when you came on the blog you helped me talk about men's mental health for Mm. men's health week do you think that men talking about their mental health has changed over the last sort of let's say 10 years for example do you think there there is a difference or do you think actually we're sort of in the same position no I think there's a massive difference and 10 years is the perfect um time span for me because it's been 10 years since my friend died and um between then and now even like in my own close circle say like my friends who would have never talked about their emotions and feelings and if they're feeling anxious do it regularly now and we just have group chats where it's like oh, i'm not feeling great today the head isn't there um does anyone want to go for a coffee just you know and like even those small conversations never used to happen and they do now mm-hmm. and then in the bigger picture you have a lot of like young men like like Connor Stone, you might know him. I, I share some of his stuff um, a lot on my page. People like Connor, people like Brezzy. There's just so many men talking and trying to have this conversation now. And that didn't happen 10 years ago. So I think it uh, absolutely has improved. And do you think, you know, when you said your best friend sadly took his, his own life, did you, like, were you even aware that he was suffering with his mental health? No, um, like... It's, it's hard because you can look back now and be like, oh, maybe that was a sign, that was a sign. Like, because he was, you know, he was 17. He was not interested in school as most 17-year-olds are. Uh, just didn't care about it. Preferred playing basketball and chasing women and everything else. So, like, all the, like, struggles that he would have had, almost everyone would have had at the time. So it didn't really feel like there was anything wrong. And then... You know, things come out later that maybe his um, like his his life at home with his mom and his and his sister and stuff wasn't the best, and it was just um, yeah, it, it, very behind doors. Like uh, so, and I was his his best friend. Like I was in his house all the time, and there was never any issues. And so that's why it was like very shocking to me that I was like, how could he one? I didn't know he was going through anything, and two, how come he couldn't talk to me about it of, of all people? So it was it was really strange. Obviously, it's horrendous that it took your best friend to do what he did for you and your friends to chat. And that's not to say that you wouldn't have done eventually, because no one knows mm-hmm. you can't predict the future. But And you, you probably find this a little bit more than I do. I get the occasional message, but because you're a man running a 
mental health and wellbeing page, you might get these kind of messages a little bit more. But sometimes I think that there is that still a little bit of hesitancy when it comes to talking about your mental health and wellbeing. For example, I was actually quite surprised when I was looking at the stats for this podcast that it's a half and half split between men and women. And I think that alone, even though I wouldn't say, I wouldn't didn't think my following was really any men at all. But I think mm. that maybe men want to interact with mental health related content without necessarily having to talk. Yeah, no, that, and that's a good point. And I can relate to that, um, that point about they want to interact without having the conversation. Like a lot of my friends and people who follow the page will always listen and read and, you know, get something out of it. Mightn't even necessarily like tell people they're listening or share it because they don't want people to think, oh, he's shared that post, which means he might, he might be struggling. They don't even want that doubt to come into other people's minds. So, which is, it, it's, um, it shows there's still a long way to go in terms of men's mental health. But I think the reason, like there's a lot of reasons men don't talk, but I think, and we'll probably see a, a jump in improvement in the next generation, but I think it's the way we're brought up and it's, it's kind of like, you know, small things over many years, like, oh, you know, um, man up, um, you don't you don't need to cry, like, get rid of those tears. Um, and then there's the, the idea that men have to be stoic, and I think there's a lot of benefit to being stoic, but you can overdo it. And, like, stoicism is kind of muddled, and people think it means you're not meant to feel emotions, but it's you're meant to have emotions and deal with them. And I think men have it in their heads for whatever reason that, men shouldn't even feel things which is ridiculous because as a human being you have to feel emotions like whether you're a man woman or whatever so like I think there's that weird misconception that men aren't supposed to be emotional and which is weird because like men are often very emotional in different ways like it men feel fine getting angry and frustrated and that's that's an emotion too and we're we're okay with having that emotion but like emotions like sadness and being vulnerable are for some reason off limits for a lot of men and it's it's frustrating to see because if 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 you could just like shake them and be like if you just let yourself feel sad now it will pass and you won't be like dealing with the repercussions of holding it in two or three years down the line yeah and I think as you said with stoicism I've always had a slight issue with stoicism only Mm -hmm. because when my dad was quite ill it was the go-to phrase that everybody said to me they'd constantly say you're so stoic in fact I don't even know if I could count the amount of times that people called me stoic and the more that people said it the more I would stop talking about my feelings because I thought I wore it like a badge of honor you know people think I'm unemotional they think I'm strong they think you know all these things that using that word put in in my head yeah just added more and more pressure whereas as you say there is an element of stoicism can be good to a certain extent but when it's actually preventing you from feeling things that it's important for you to feel that's when it becomes a little bit harmful to to you um yeah and I think um that's a perfect example because it's not even that like you'd be preventing yourself or figuring out a way to not feel emotions you're like you're still feeling the emotions but you're telling yourself you're not so there's there's just a a conflict within you the whole time because you're like like in your situation you're probably like oh no I can't feel this because I'm stoic and people think I'm stoic so you just force the emotion down but you're still feeling it but you're like I can't express this emotion Exactly. And it, and it catches up with you eventually, as you said, it will come to the surface eventually. And yeah. I always say my best advice to people is just try and feel those emotions as soon as you can, because otherwise it's like anything when you put pressure on something and then you finally release it, 
it causes quite the eruption. So please don't mm. do that if you're listening, because um, it's really not fun. So you obviously talked talk to, or touched on, I should say, your um, own struggles with mental health. Mm-hmm. Is there, but now you look back, are there things that you do differently day to day or things that you've had to abandon and avoid? Um, I think and it, it comes back to what we were just talking about again. The biggest issue for me when I was going through, so I was grieving and then I became really, really emotionally numb. So like I couldn't, couldn't even feel sadness. I couldn't, nothing brought me joy. I never got excited about anything. It was just day in, day out. And I started learning that I had to pretend to have emotions. So like, if I got good news about something, I'd be like, you know, just no emotional reaction internally, but I knew that people would expect an emotion reaction from me. So I acted out and I'd be like, oh, you know, just all all the excitement, but like actually feeling nothing and kind of getting to a place where I can actually feel a genuine emotion now took a lot of just daily awareness of it and like when when I feel like say the spark of an emotion I like make myself sit in it so that I'm like okay you you felt a little bit happy about this there we're staying here in this emotion and you're going to feel the full weight of that emotion because that kind of jump-started me being able to just naturally feel emotions against and it got to a point where I like because I'd never ever cried at something like um like a, a movie that would have made me emotional or should have made me emotional never cried anything and then it got to a point where I was watching like um Inside Out it's a Pixar movie like and I started crying and I was like okay we've made progress because now I'm actually having an emotional reaction to something that makes me feel things which is important um so I think that journey for me took 10 years but I'm in a place now where I when an emotion comes along I can see it coming and I like accept it's coming rather than being like pushing it down and um or just after Irby died, just genuinely not being able to feel anything. And that it's it's weird when that happens because you don't feel like it's a problem because you can't feel anything. But when you're like, when you look back then and you're like, okay, that was just really destructive because nothing was nothing in my life felt enjoyable or worthwhile. And that's no way to live. Like so. No, it's 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 interesting that you mentioned crying about films because um I went to see the Bond film the other day. Mm-hmm. and I don't cry very easily at films and I had a, a good sob which actually took my friends by surprise given that there's you know there's those typical films for example Inside Out didn't cry Up didn't cry which will just be to some people would be so shocking Madness. you'll think you're so yeah. heartless because I saw James Bond and it's not the most cryable movie so respect <laughs> for finding somewhere to cry yeah I was, I, I was obviously <laughs> I was obviously feeling very connected to Daniel Craig and it being his last yeah. film and it obviously got on top of me so yeah. um, he's another person I might have to put into the box um, of people that can't be bad-mouthed on yeah, this show. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to see. box is filling up. That box is filling it is, up. It really is filling up. You obviously pride yourself on talking a lot about mental health routines. And I, mm. I think it's very interesting that you call it that because I think that perfectly summarises exactly what you're aiming to do and what people need. Because mm. we all have a fitness regime or we have a daily routine, whatever you want to call it. But having a mental health routine is so important. If you struggle with your mental health, you get better, maybe having some treatment, counselling, whatever whatever route you take, and then you get better. And then because you're better, you then abandon everything. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, because you've abandoned everything, you're back to where you were. And I've done that a few times. 
and I've had to develop sort of my own routine and things that I know I need to keep up in order to be mentally healthy. So what kind of started that for you? Was it your own experience or the amount of people that were reaching out? What what started your interest in it? Well, I suppose, and it's, again, completely on the same page, uh, I went to therapy in college. Uh, I got to a place where I was feeling better. And I, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm fixed. It's gone now. I don't have to do anything else. It's fine. So that was definitely a motivator. And then just like, like we're... Or like as a species we're all like we're obsessed with routines like our whole lives are routines whether like the way we get even like the way we get dressed what we put on first what we put on last everything we do is a routine so for me it was just like it made sense that you'd have a routine for your mental health because you have one for your physical health and you have one for how you cook your dinner so it makes sense that you'd have one for the most like important part of you because you're always in your mind so that's where the motivation came from and it's so such a simple idea but it it's so so effective as a tool like for me and people who've made themselves a mental health routine since I started talking about it and have talked to me it makes such a difference so and then looking back I'm like hey wasn't I do how isn't this taught anywhere like in school and how wasn't I doing this forever yeah there's too many things that aren't taught in school that that should be and I definitely think and it looks as though from, you know, things that you see on the news that mental health and well-being is being integrated a little bit more into the curriculum. But I just think it's it's important to learn these things from a young age, because I think that and I'm sure given that our issues seem to coincide when it comes to the age that we struggled, mm-hmm. you, you just don't really know where to start. And you're in that in that or at that age in life where you think people have got their own things going on. You can feel a little bit isolated because everybody's kind of trying to figure things out. Um, So I think that exploring a routine and what works for you is so important. What do you, I mean, it's really hard to say or pick out specific things that are important because we're all different. We're all very unique as human beings. Our interests are different and our circumstances are different. But what do you think are like the top, maybe like two or three things that are important to make sure are included in mental health routine so like the top five i have and it's my like checklist that i always come back to have very little to do with like you know the the classics of mental health which is like mindfulness and meditation and that more kind of vague but important very important i do all of it but like more hard to like t- uh, tie down things but like the five things i come back to and it everyone needs these things for their physical health but I don't think the emphasis is put on the importance for your mental health and it's getting seven to nine hours of sleep every night drinking two to three liters of water or whatever your your body uh, type requires for you to stay hydrated uh, eating good food and not eating junk exercising and that one can obviously be completely different for everyone because some people will need to do a marathon for some reason that's insane and some people will just go for a walk and that's they're both completely valid and then the other one is finding time to socialize and be around other people and i know because i'm quite introverted a lot of the time as well you still need to interact with people you love and care about it doesn't have to be a party but you can go for a coffee with your friend or something and i think those five things if i have them all checked out consistently day after day my mental health is generally just very consistent 
I think the one thing, and I'm not alone with this, honestly, if you followed me around for the day and you saw how much water I drink, I honestly, and I would deserve it, I would expect you to slap me because I can't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's got no taste. I'm just awful at it and I need to get better. I imagine, and I know there's quite a few people that are the same when it comes to water. Yeah. What is your best advice on that element alone? Yeah, like, because no water like don't get me wrong i drink a lot of it but it's not like it's not the party drink you know it's very uh just something you have to do i try to get a liter like if i get up at half seven i'll try and get a liter of water into me before nine just get through a, a couple of glasses like not even a full liter but like get through two or three glasses of water by nine o'clock and then for the rest of the day I just sip when i'm thirsty and that seems to work for me but yeah it's not one that like and I think that's actually where people fall down in their mental health routines and just maintaining their, their mental health because it it encompasses a lot of stuff that you need to do, but you don't want to do. Mm. So like a lot of days I don't want to go exercise because, eh, but you know, I know it's good for my health. I know it's good for my mental health. So I go do it. Same with drinking water. It's not like, it's not fun. It's not like an enjoyable thing, but it's something you have to do. It's like when you're sick, you don't want to go to the doctor, but you have to go to the doctor. And that's that's my, like, I prefer thinking of self-care in that kind of, um, that vein. It's not like, of course, you need days off and taking it easy, but, like, the majority of self-care is doing all the stuff that you're avoiding doing that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why the mental health routine is kind of like, okay, this isn't all fun, but I know I'll get a lot of benefit from doing it. It's a bit like trying to choose good photo of a bad food sometimes you just crave the rubbish especially when Mm -hmm. you're hungover and I'm not alone when I say that but in the long run like once I've eaten something really bad afterwards I just think you'd feel better if you ate something you know all I then want to eat is really good food yeah yeah to almost counterbalance it so yeah I can understand that but in terms of exercise I know a lot of people struggle with exercise on those days where you really so say that you have decided that you're going to do a bit of exercise that requires quite a lot of energy, but you just don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. Do you power through or do you look away, look at a way of stripping it back? So you're still ticking the exercise box, but you're not quite going as far as what your original plan was. Yeah. Like I think there's, um, there's being disciplined and there's also on the other side of that coin is being compassionate with yourself. So as you were saying, like if you're hungover and you want to eat bad food because that's what you want to do when you're hungover, like I wouldn't be giving out to myself for doing that assuming I'm not doing it every day like because then it's not like I'm stepping out of the routine for a day rather than making that my routine and then it would be the same with exercise so like if I wanted to go for like a 10k run but I just don't have the energy then I'll still I'll just go for a walk or I'll go for a shorter run and there's there's no problem like I think for years I would have beat myself up about stuff like that it's like oh you're not doing what you said you would do and now you're failing and now you're a bad person and you go down that spiral but it's just like you do have to have you know some flexibility with yourself because you're not going to feel up to everything on your list every day and that's that's where that element of self-care comes in where it's like okay you need to take it easy on yourself because you're not up to the races and that's fine I think that's okay. Did they become even more important during the pandemic have you found or is that when you kind of started implementing it really or were you doing it before the pandemic even started? I think, yeah, the pandemic definitely made me, like, formalise it. So I was always doing it, but it was never, like, really, like, a, you know, a, a set thing. And it, it, it was really helpful in the pandemic because it not only, like, 
not only does it keep your mental health consistent, but if you're doing everything on your mental health routine and then you still feel off, then you know there's more like there's a more underlying problem, which I find really helpful. So if I'm taking all my boxes and what usually makes me like mentally consistent and I'm still feeling like anxious or low mood, then I know there's something else going on in the background that needs addressing. So in ter- when, especially when we were in like hard lockdowns and it was like six months of, you know, barely seeing anyone, those routines became vital to maintaining well-being. The reason I'm asking this is because I am very obviously an extrovert. In fact, when I've done a test, I really am. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not right at the end of the scale of being like the ultimate extrovert, but I'm not too far mm-hmm. off. So I suppose being an introvert, you and I, for example, if, if you identify as a, an introvert and I'm extrovert, the way we approach our mental health is probably going to be a little bit different. For example, the social side, vital for me. I found yeah. that during the lockdown, the lockdown actually cemented that for me because it made me realise that I need to be around people and I need to socialise because that is yeah. where a lot of my energy comes from. And I mm. honestly, I think I sort of knew that, but I think that the pandemic, it's really strange because obviously we're all working from home and, and my job, I was working from home a lot anyway, but I would get to sort of the middle of the day and I would be exhausted. And I thought, Soph, you've been nowhere. <laughs> Yeah. you you literally rolled out of bed and sat at a desk you can't be exhausted and the longer it went on the more and more drained I became and I think that when we then were able to meet people face to face I would have this intense surge of energy it was literally like mm-hmm. I'd had about 10 coffees it was it was insane <laughs> and I'm still working through that a little bit now which yeah. is probably an example that I'm probably speaking at the speed of light on this um but <laughs> I for you I imagine it's it's different when you have those social in- interactions? Yeah, well, like, um, I'm not, like, a complete and total introvert. Like, I think for me, it's more that I'm happy to spend a lot of time on my own, but, like, then when I do meet friends and I'm, in like, in the mood for, like, there's there's nothing that compares to it, like, when you're, when you're in the mood to socialise and you want to. But I think um, because I do a lot of writing anyway, I tend to naturally spend time on my own. And I had been doing that anyway before the pandemic. So when the when lockdowns came, I was like, bare like the the weekends or like where I meet friends during the week. Life didn't really change for me. I was still more or less spending the same amount of time on my own. So yeah, it, it didn't because I know like spending that much time on your own is if you're not comfortable with it during lockdown was very hard for people. And I've talked to a lot of people who struggled a lot with having to be on their own a lot. But I, I've just, I don't, I don't think I ever worked on it consciously, but I've always just been fairly good at spending time on my own. So it, it didn't really affect me to that degree. And what do you do in those social situations, as you said? And, and, and sometimes I even struggle with this. I think especially after what we've been through over the last 18 months, no matter who you are, people have struggled with seeing people again. As someone that, you know, as you say, enjoys spending time by themselves, how do you convince yourself to go out and do those to socialize and do social activities if you're in that mind frame where you're like I don't want to do this this is not Mm. something that I want to do or this is not how I want to spend my evening yeah um and it was actually something I struggled with for a a long time up till recently I'm still kind of processing it uh I I kind of coined it productivity anxiety where I think I have taught every any any time I spend away from not 
doing like the things I want to do in terms of career, so writing, doing the blog, uh, or even like if I'm like doing stuff like exercising, if I'm not spending time doing those things, in my mind, I always felt like I was wasting time. So it was just like, you're, you're spending your time wrong. So that made me like, for ages, made me reluctant to be like, oh, I'll go spend a few hours with this friend. I'll go home and see my parents. Because I was like, you're just wasting time. You need to go back and work. And it was always like, you need to be being productive. So that was a big issue for me for a while. But now I kind of look at it in terms of like, that time isn't wasted because you need those experiences and you need to spend time with people you care about to give you the energy to do the productive stuff. Because what was happening to me was, I was like, that, that isn't productive, you can't do that. But then I'd be sitting at the computer and I'd be just, the work would be terrible because I have no motivation to do anything because I've, I'm not spending time doing things I enjoy. Because, and then when you keep going down that route, the writing was something I always enjoyed. And then it was becoming a chore because I was like stressing out because I wasn't using my time right. And that was a big spiral, especially in the first lockdown in 2020. And I just kind of had to sit myself down and just be like, you need to, you can't, like, if you continue doing this, you're just going to be like resentful, stressed. You're going to become bitter and you're not like, you're not going to have anyone around you anymore because you, you're, you think spending time with people is unproductive, which is like, even saying that out loud is crazy. Like, but that's where it was for me. So now, now I just kind of say yes to all the social stuff, which is great because it, and every time I do it and I go out and see friends, you never come away from those situations being like, oh, I regret going there. I regret seeing my best friends. That was terrible. Like you never, that never happens. So like, it, yeah, it, but it was a learning curve for me. And I think sometimes with social anxiety, which people won't believe that I've experienced, but I most definitely have, you are in, there's this idea that you're not in control of a situation once you're in it, but you are, you can leave at any, any time. You're not obliged mm. to say, if you're not enjoying yourself, you can go. But as you yeah. said, there are, very, very few. In fact, I would struggle to think of one off the top of my head where you are worried about going somewhere, socialising for whatever reason. It doesn't matter what's stopping you, but you're anxious to go and spend time with a group of people, whether you know them or not. I don't think I've ever regretted going to those things because, as you say, you come. I've come away with something as a result, whether yeah. that's it's made me feel happier, I've learned something, I've met some somebody new, it's taught me something about myself. You know, it, 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 there's always something you can take away from those situations. It's just sometimes it's the strength to convince yourself to go. I think I think that's often a big struggle, and I think that a lot of people are continuing to struggle with that post pandemic because we just have it. You know, a lot of people have got used to their own company, people that yeah. maybe didn't enjoy their own company before. So then doing a 180 and suddenly spending mm. time with other people sounds, you know, you've lived a certain life for 18 yeah. months. And the idea of then having to factor other people in, it can be quite overwhelming. Yeah, and I think what happens is you, you start, like, making up scenarios that you've no, um, you've no proof or evidence for. So, like, if you're going into a situation and you're like, oh, these people aren't going to like me because of this and they know that person, and you're just... You're making up all these scenarios and that's what's making you anxious and i think what i've found and i would have never linked these two things but meditating helped me deal with that because it forces me to just stop thinking about what if down the line because it makes you be present and you're only experiencing the now and i think 
for me anyway the anxiety of like social situations came from the fact that I was thinking ahead I was like okay but you're going to be there and then you have to talk to this person and then you have to you know you have to be charming and you have to be involved and it's like no like no situation in the past has ever like shown that those have ever been a problem so I was like why do you think it's going to suddenly become a problem and I think that's probably where where that anxiety comes from so how often do you meditate um now like I, I was going in and out of a I kind of go in and out of phases at the moment I do it twice a day um so on a work day I'll just do like 15 minutes in the morning before work and then after work I'll just do another 15 minutes I just find like that time for me at the moment is more than enough because after that I start getting into like oh I just want to be finished doing this but um I just find it really like especially if you wake up and you're kind of anxious about the day ahead uh, it forces you to just not think like isn't just be present which means you don't think about the things ahead and I just think it, it's really really helpful. Do you ever get people because um, this is what I found the more and more I talk to people about mental health and maybe people that are slightly resistant to trying things a lot of the time mm-hmm. if you mention mental health um, sorry if you mention meditation people will say oh you know, it's, it's so hippie and spiritual. Did, mm. Have you found that? That people yeah. said that to you? Or, or did did you think that originally? Um, well, before I meditated or started meditating, I would have been in the mindset of like, oh, that's just not something a person like me does. Uh, you know, I just thought that was for other kinds of people, whatever kinds of people I had in mind. But um, and now, yeah, now that I do it, people like, you know, my friends will be like, they'll just make like silly jokes about meditation or whatever. And I'm like, you should just try it and it's I found it to be a game changer once I started doing it seriously like it just kind of makes you oh and it's something I've talked about in the blog before it makes you aware of the fact that like you're not the thoughts you think and that like the voice you hear in your head isn't you but like because you're if you're never meditating you never really experience the fact that like you're always thinking without choosing to um and I think that really helped me to like figure out that I'm not the thoughts I have because sometimes you know thoughts can be distressing intrusive quite depressing uh, and just learning that like okay but I'm not those thoughts they're just coming and going and that's for my mental health and I can't I imagine because it's so popular now for everyone's mental health it's it's a game changer like. and you mentioned earlier that with the elements of the mental health routine that you have it can help you identify when you're feeling a bit off. If you are, if you recognise that something's wrong, whether it's anxiety or you're feeling depressed or whatever, what's your what's your next step? So yeah, so if, yeah, if I use the mental health routine and I realise I'm anxious about something, it, I think the best thing for me is to find out what's making me anxious because I'll often like be anxious and focusing on the thing or on something that isn't what's making me anxious, but I'm just like, you know, like projecting it onto that. So I think finding out what makes you anxious is probably the most important thing. And to do that, I just journal. So I just basically do a brain dump into a, a notebook and figure out what is causing that stuff to happen. Journaling is really important. It's not. It's something, weirdly, as somebody that writes all day, every day in their job and started a blog, I really struggled <laughs> with, which is just, it doesn't make sense on paper. I know it doesn't. But once you've got do you find that journaling is the answer for you you don't need to take any further steps a lot of the time for the most part I don't need to take further steps I will go back like I'll jump I'm not in therapy at the moment but if it, if it's if say the journaling isn't helping or like I'm still feeling in a low mood then I'll just you know uh, sign up to 
back into counseling for well four or five six weeks and that that'll help but i think what happens for me with journaling is that is once i have the thought or the feeling quantified in like a few sentences i can kind of accept it and i can if you, instead of being this big kind of like rain cloud inside my head it's really vague it's now like this small thing that i can put in a box almost and i'm like okay i can actually manage this because it's a thing rather than this big vague just feeling counseling is one of those things that often men are hesitant to explore i know that mm-hmm. often when i recommended it to people and i'm not one of those people that doesn't listen to what you're saying and i just go go to therapy but i do think for a lot of people it's a very good option it's not for everybody sometimes it won't work for people it's just like everything any kind of mental health treatment isn't mm-hmm. it's not one size fits all do you have any resistance to going to counseling or do you think that there is an issue with men going to counseling like what what are the concerns do you think so i think what what's happened with counseling for men and just people in general i think is that counseling is synonymous with there being something wrong with me so they think that like because I'm going to counseling, there's something deeply like off with who I am and I'm broken. But I, I just don't I don't I don't frame it that way. I, I think people people who aren't struggling should go to counseling at least once or twice. And because be, you can use counseling to grow as a person. Like it's not necessarily like there's something wrong with you. So you go to counseling to fix that because that's anyone who's been to counseling will know like that's not how therapy works. It's it's very much uh, this will only work if you put the effort into it, not that you just go to someone, they talk at you and suddenly you're fixed. Like that's that's not how it works. So I think yeah, the stigma around it, I would say it's a case of people thinking that you only go to counselling because there's something wrong with you uh, and that you're trying to get fixed. And that's why I would say men don't go because as we said in the beginning, men don't like to show that they're vulnerable or to have emotions so to openly admit that you need help with your emotions as a man has historically not been something they're willing to do it's interesting because some people i mean i should do it more often really but some people go to their gp for like a bit of a health mot if you like and i know my Mm. old gym offered a similar thing but then when it comes to mental health it's like oh no there's nothing wrong though so i don't really think i need to speak to somebody and it's like well the people that are going for their health mot as i say it's not because there's anything necessarily wrong. It's just you want a bit of a check over. And yeah. counselling should work in a similar way. You know, there doesn't have to be something wrong. And actually, I said this to somebody the other day. You should try and go and get support before you're in crisis mode. Because I've done it at least once or twice where I've been in total crisis mode. And then I've gone to counselling. Mm-hmm. And it's much harder, not necessarily to work with somebody, but to get results um, on a short time scale than it is when you go when you, you initially feel like something's wrong um, so I think yeah. you're right it's it's trying to see it as it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're broken but it just should be something that is considered part of a health checkup yeah and I think whole. it's a it's a really good uh, like comparison to use like you for your physical health like for the most part if you're trying to stay healthy you try to keep your body healthy all the time you don't like just you don't just uh, work on your physical health when you're sick you're like you're always trying to exercise and eat right and keep your body running uh but i think we kind of tend to look at mental health as something we ignore until there's a problem 
and that's why people just go to counseling when there's something wrong because they don't they don't like frame mental health as something you should work on every day and to me i think that's a, something you definitely have to do like you have like the same way if you want to get abs you have to do sit-ups every day like if you want to have very good mental health you need to you know work on it every day work it out every day whatever that entails for you as i said it's different for everyone but you can't just neglect it until there's something wrong and then try and like put a plaster on it yeah so if anybody's listening and they are thinking i want to figure out a mental health routine because i do think it's you know it's different for everyone i think they can definitely get inspiration from what you do but there might be people for example for me i know that doing something creative is really important for me so Mm -hmm. my top five being creative in some way on a daily basis would have to be in there so mm-hmm. there's other people, they might have different ideas. So where, where would you suggest they start? Well, you, you kind of already said it really. Um, I think starting with the things you really enjoy doing that are also not destructive to your health. So like being creative is a perfect one. Um, you know, if you like whatever, like if, if, you know, going for tea with your mother, if that's something you like to do, do that. But I wouldn't be like, because obviously, and I like it too, but. I like drinking with my friends, but I wouldn't keep that in my mental health routine because it's overall bad for my health. So you kind of have to just, I would start with, look at the obvious things you really, really like doing. So if that's like going playing football or going to the cinema and that's something you really enjoy doing, then I would include that in your mental health routine. And that's why like, you know, when you get into the self-care thing, there's nothing wrong with like part of your mental health routine being I really like this show on Netflix. Like I'm a big, for example, I'm a big Marvel nerd, like watch all everything Marvel make. So that would be part of my mental health routine and I'll get really enjoyment out of it. But there's a fine line between that helping my mental health and me just binging TV for like 10 hours. Cause that's all of a sudden becoming a negative part of my life then because I'm just, you know, becoming a couch potato. So yeah, just finding things that you really like doing that don't mess up your life. So the closest comparison to me getting um, upset about Bond would be you watching the end of um, Endgame, the Avengers Endgame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a, that was a tough one. See, tough. Or even the, the end of Infinity War because that was a cliffhanger and it was terrible. I came out of that destroyed. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, very traumatic. I am also a Marvel nerd. I Excellent. have always preferred Marvel to DC. No offense to Who's, who's your favourite character then? might fall out here Pro- if if i was really pushed i'd probably say thor yeah fair he's got fair. he's got he's got a good fantastic <laughs> sense of humor obviously he doesn't isn't too bad on the eye yeah he's not bad he's not bad but i've also always enjoyed black widow's um sass mm. you know Very i can good. appreciate that and yeah. i do think although it's upsetting to say it out loud because obviously uh the main character whose name completely escapes me on the spot but Black Panther, what oh, a film. Chadwick Boseman, what, T'Challa. What a film. Yeah, so good. But that could be a whole so different good. podcast in itself. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody that's listening feels exactly the same. Um, if people wanted to follow you, not literally, mm-hmm. it's a bit much, <laughs> but wanted to find you online, let's say, where yeah. where can they find you? Well, we have Instagram, so that's at Thoughts Too Big, um, Thoughts Too Big, dot a year dot com and i'm on twitter as well as at dara fleming if you want to hear my very very hot takes 
then come to Twitter. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you would like to subscribe and tell everybody you know about the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Until next time, look after yourselves and each other.